0: Gordon, and Barbara for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream this morning. We are back in Philippians chapter 2. We took a little break from this passage last week when we talked primarily about uh, Ukraine and things that are happening there. I want to come back to this passage, a beautiful passage, a well-known passage, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, and we'll go through verse 8 this morning. Uh, this kenosis passage, the humbling of the Lord Jesus Christ as he came to the earth. Last time in the first four verses of this chapter, we talked about the example of Christ when it comes to unity, that he's our example of unity in the church and among brethren uh, in this world. Now he's going to talk about our example uh, of Christ as the servant to us. And in doing that, He brings to us a passage of Scripture uh, that is maybe the greatest, the most well-known passage on the incarnation of Jesus Christ uh, that the Apostle Paul even pins, Uh, on the humiliation, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see much of that in these verses. And truly, Christ is our example. He's our example of so many things. Of course, He's our Savior. We're not saved by trying to follow an example. We're saved uh, by His blood cleansing us from our sins. But He becomes our Lord, and He becomes our example. He's our example in holiness when the Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. He's our example in humility. Uh, uh, Paul beseeches us with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's our example of strength. We can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's our example of perfection. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And here he's our example in suffering. He became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I thought of a verse in Romans chapter 8 or chapter 5 where Paul says these words When you were still without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And he says this, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I happen to think, uh, you know, President Zelensky in Ukraine today is willing to die for being a president and stay in his country and, uh, even to the time of his death. And look how many people are willing to die for a good man. Look how many people are willing to do the same when a good man does that. But I thought of this verse, how much greater should we be willing to follow Christ wherever he goes? How much, how much more uh, should we follow our Lord in whatever he asks us to do? Because he went to death for us. Uh, not just for a city or a country, but for eternal life. In uh, Luke chapter chapter 9, the Lord said this, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know, there, there are two kinds of death that we're called sometimes to follow Christ in some people have been called to follow him in suffering and death of the physical body the martyrdom of the body no doubt tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people over the last 2,000 years have followed Christ to their actual death because Christ did and they were martyred for Christ that's that's rare to us but it still happens in this world too But the other kind of death is a spiritual martyrdom. He asks you to take up your cross and follow him. He asks you to die to yourself. The Apostle Paul made this statement. He said, I die daily. How how do you die daily? Well, in this spiritual martyrdom. As a matter of fact, the, the Lord's words in Luke 9 that I just read to you, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We take up a cross to follow Him, and that cross we do on a daily basis. We're called to do at least that, to follow Him, to suffer for Him, to become servants for Him. Whether or not we die physically as martyrs or not, someday we'll all die. We're all called to do that. So as we come to this passage, I give you an outline of these four verses that we're going to look at. And you know, there's, there's two ways we could go about this passage. We could just deal with it theologically because there is so much here that talks about what Christ did for us. We'll do some of that. But also, we understand that we want to approach it practically because the Apostle Paul is saying, You need to think like this. You need to let this mind be in you, the same kind of mind that was in your Lord. And so we need to understand how we can do that. So that's why you have the kind of outline before you that you have, and follow if, if you can. If you're watching online, it's to the left of your screen. I, I kind of make this outline out to be four questions, I, I think the greatest questions in life uh, that we have to ask ourselves. So uh, the first one is, where is your mind? Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Did you ever say something like, what was I thinking? (laughs) What was I thinking? Well, we catch ourselves in our mind, uh, straying from what we should be thinking or not doing what we should be thinking. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me talk for a minute about the mind of Christ. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Well, what, what was that? What is the mind of Christ? Well, in a nutshell, it's what follows in verses 6, 7, and 8. Let this mind be in you. And then he begins to explain what kind of mind was in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that this morning and and follow his thought through these things. But immediately I, I think to myself, can we do this? Paul also said, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? How can you know the mind of the Lord? How can you have the mind of Christ in you? Who knows that? Well, you know what? Evidently, in some way, we can or we wouldn't have a command to do it. We're commanded by God's inspired word to do this. So here are some thoughts. First Peter 4, 1 Peter 4.1, Peter said, For as much then as Christ hath suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with this same mind. Arm yourselves with this mind. Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And so as God saved you, He writes His laws into your mind that you have. Colossians 3.12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind. We ought to be able to put those on if we're commanded to do it. And then one more, 1 Corinthians 2.16, maybe the most telling. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. If we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit in us, we do have the mind of Christ. So what about your mind, as I say here? When he says this, it doesn't sound like a command always to us in the English, but it certainly is. Let it be. Let this mind be in you. It's as much of a command as he, as he just said, do this put this mind in you, have this mind in you, this command. It, it's a command of sacrifice, isn't it? It's a command uh, to do what he does here in humbling himself and becoming obedient even unto death. Warren Wearsby kind of put it this way. He says, I cannot keep my privilege to myself. I must use them for others. And to do this, I will gladly lay them aside, that is his privileges, and pay whatever price is necessary. One of our missionaries, Vitaly Yurchenko, today is still in Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, And uh, many have left, women and children have left. He's still there with his people. He pastors a church there. No doubt they had services in the basement of his home where a lot of people are are gathered today. And tonight we're going to see a video from Vitaly and uh, he is going to say, why did I stay? And his answer is going to be, I think this is what Christ would have done. And he's staying with his people because he says, I think this is what Jesus would have done. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, the mind of Christ. In England, there's that expression mind the gap you walk around the city and it tells you watch where you step watch when you get on the train watch when you step off the curve mind the gap Uh, i grew up with uh my mother's words mind your manners right you uh you know that or you better mind me i think sometimes though we're more in the sense of never mind (laughs) you know we have that expression never mind but uh, we cannot let this mind of christ go so, where is your mind? It should be the mind of Christ. Secondly, who are you in Christ? Now look at verse six after he says, "Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The who, no doubt refers to Christ Jesus in the, in the previous verse and Here is what is in the mind of Christ as he begins to tell us. And uh, he first begins to tell us that if anyone was ever exalted, it was Christ. If if anyone came from a, a, a point so high to a point so low, it was Jesus Christ. Who being in the form of God. I'll give you a few of these words as we go through. Morphe, you remember this word. Metamorphosis, morphe, means entirely God, who is in the form of God. It's not talking about size and shape. It's talking about who he is. William Hendrickson defined morphe morphe as the inner, essential, and abiding nature of a person or thing. He was God, inwardly, outwardly, through and through God. I don't know if there's a greater statement about the deity of Christ uh, anywhere in the Scripture, but they're all over the place, of course. First John uh, uh, 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, or the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. And John says again at the end of his epistle, chapter 5, verse 20, uh, we are in His Son, Christ Jesus. This is the true God, even eternal life. And so he was in the form of God. And notice then, being in that form of God, should I stop and say, eternally, before there was ever a world, before there was ever a universe and and an earth, sometimes we get to thinking that, boy, this is everything, you know, that we live in this world and this universe and somewhere off in a corner somewhere there's heaven, And we have to leave this wonderful big place to go to that little corner called heaven. It's just the opposite, folks. Where Jesus was and where God has existed forever, this is the little corner of anything. And we get to go to that huge, wonderful place someday. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery? Or more recent translations take this word and say a thing to be grasped. He, he thought it not a thing to hang on to. So the word robbery is, is a correct translation. I mean, it, it, it is a good word. As a matter of fact, uh, in one place in Hebrews, the writer says, uh, they took the spoiling of your goods. They took the robbery of your goods. Can you see that? Someone comes into your house and grabs something and hangs on to it and leaves. That's robbery. That's a thing to grasp, to hang on to. Here's an interesting uh, uh, grammatical thing, I think. "harpagmos" is the word. Harpogmos, robbery, a thing to grasp. You, our word for the rapture of the church is the verb form of that noun, "Harpagzo." We will be caught up. One day Jesus is going to come at the rapture and grab us and rob us out of this world. So what is Paul saying by this word robbery? It's a, it, what what uh, he's saying is that Jesus did not grab a hold of his place in heaven in the, in the presence of God and say, I'm not leaving. I'm not going down there. I'm holding on. I'm grasping this. He didn't think it a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to, or a thing to rob to leave heaven, and to come here. And also, this verse says, to be equal with God. He didn't hang on to this equality with God. The little word, equal, means isos. We get a geometry term from that. Uh, I flunked out of algebra, but I sure did pass geometry. You know, shapes and things are more my thing. The the isosceles triangle is a triangle that has two equal sides. That's what makes it an isosceles triangle. And this word isos is the root for that. He was equal with God. Matter of fact, two equal sides, you have three. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all equal. You know, I grab a hold of that and say, well, why don't you go? Why did not the Holy Spirit go? No, he did not grasp a hold of that. Now, I need to put a footnote in here so that we understand he did not then give up deity he's giving up the privileges of deity he's giving up the 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 rights that he had on the throne of heaven for a while though of course he took his deity with him as we know so christ was god christ came from heaven to this earth for us who are you in christ you understand that, don't you? We, are, we don't belong to ourselves any longer. We are bought with a price when we know Christ as Savior. He paid this price for you and me, and he, he calls us into the same thing that He did. Let me remind you of these words uh, in Romans 8, 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that word conformed is the word Morphe. You're supposed to then make yourself like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with veiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from Morphe, being transformed into the image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And one more, Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed, Morphe, formed in you. We're supposed to have this mind in us, this mind that even allowed Jesus to let go of all the glory of heaven and resign himself to the worst death possible, the death on a cross. We're to be transformed into that same mind. We're to have that same idea that he had. You know, when we were lost, when we were without Christ, there's no way we would accept this. There's no way we would say, "Okay, I give up everything for him. I won't be the king of my life any longer." No, we we grasp everything we can grasp. What was it that Lucifer said when he fell from heaven? "I will be like the most high God. I'm I'm not going to serve him. I'm going to be I'm going to be in his place." And what did That same Lucifer say to Adam and Eve in the garden, if you'll just do this, you will be like him. You'll be like God. That's always been the lost person's point of view. I am my God. I am my only king. I will say what I will do and not do and what I will give up and not give up. And that's the way all of us are before we know Christ as Savior. When this mind of Christ comes into us, we are taken up with success and we know how to do it. Success is our big thing, the name for us, the the prize for us, and we are such pragmatists that we can do it. We know how to be successful. But do we know how to serve? We don't really until we know Christ is Savior. When that mind is in us, we begin to find out what life is really about and what is really important. And so, put on this servant mode of the Lord Jesus Christ. So thirdly, well, number one, where is your mind? Question number two, who are you in Christ? And number three, what are you doing in life? Well, now we come to a very important statement in verse seven, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a servant, coming the likeness of men. He emptied himself, I have on your outline, because that whole phrase, made himself of no reputation, comes from one word. And that word, kenosis, uh, means to empty yourself. So some translations could have it, and he emptied himself. So we call this the kenosis passage, all from, from one word. As a matter of fact, my, my uh, footnote in my Bible says he emptied himself of his privileges. He emptied himself of those privileges. Not of deity, as we have already said, but the outward privileges and manifestation of his deity. He emptied himself of that. The kenosis passage, the emptying of Christ. And, folks, if he wasn't willing to do that, you and I would have no salvation. If he was not willing, If he would have grasped the things of heaven and his status and his surroundings of heaven and saying, I'm not going, you would not have eternal life. He let go of that. He emptied himself of all of those privileges and became a baby, became a helpless human being for you and for me. He took upon him the form of a servant. Now, there you have the word morphe again, because was he a servant? He was 100% servant. Did he come to serve? To the point of death. So that word morphe can can describe his servanthood, because you can't get any better than this when it comes to servanthood. And in the likeness of men, the likeness is a, a different word that that might be similar, similarity. Now, he is 100% deity, but when he came to this earth, he became also 100% humanity. And so, no man has been like this. You and I are 100% humanity, but we're not deity. Here's someone who was the God man. Here's someone who was a man 100%, and yet 100% God, 100% deity. Have you ever seen? Such a person? No, you haven't, except in the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest revelation of God yet, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. Here he was, God, in the flesh, yet as a lowly man, a servant. Are you a servant? Can you do something like this? The Bible calls you a servant and with a number of different words. One is a bond slave. One word is, is that bond slave who, who said, I can be set free, but I don't want to be set free. I can go my way at the year of Jubilee, but I don't want to. I want to serve this master for the rest of my life. And they went to the doorpost and took a notch out of his ear so that he was a bond servant. Can you serve Christ that way? Another word for servant is an under rower. The lowest uh, person on board the ship, the person with the lowest rank is underneath rowing in that big ship, the under rower. Are you willing to take that place and be the lowest place and serve him that way? Another is a house servant, that stands and watches always the hand of his master, and if that hand points, he goes. If that hand comes, he comes. Are you willing to look at your Lord and say, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? There's so many ways that we can be a servant like him. Think again of Jesus, this downward progression. God, for eternity, God with all the privileges, he becomes a, a servant in that he takes on a body, that baby, and then he takes that body to the worst kind of death and dies on the cross? What condescension is that? What an what a, a, a incarnality is that? What do we do? We're our own God. We've decided we're the master of our fate. We're not serving anybody but ourselves. And then we realize we're bought with a price. And we receive this one as our Savior, and he says to us, now you pick up your cross and follow me and do it daily and become a servant like I am. We are to use our body and our mind to serve him. Let me again uh, read, read to you this, this, uh, uh, these words from Mark ten forty five even the, uh, whoever desires to be first shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to read you a parable, the parable of the pencil. I bet you haven't heard the parable of the pencil, have you? The pencil maker took the pencil aside, and just before putting him into the box... He said, There are five things you need to know, Mr. Pencil, before I send you out into the world. Always remember them and never forget, and you will become the best pencil you can be. Number one, you will be able to do many great things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in someone's hand. Number two, you will experience a painful sharpening from time to time but you'll need to be you'll need that to become a better pencil. Number 3. You will be able to correct your mistakes when you make mistakes. Number 4. And the most important part of you will always be what's inside. And number 5. On every surface you are used, you must leave your mark no matter what the condition, you must continue to write. The pencil understood and promised to remember and went into the box with purpose of heart. Now, placing the pencil uh, with you, remember these things. And I'll shorten it a little bit. Number one, uh, you can do great things if you're in God's hands. Number two, there's painful sharpening in this world, and you and I need it. Number three, you can correct your mistakes. God put an eraser on us, too. We confess our sins. He can forgive us of our sins. Number four, what's important is what's inside you, not the outward form, but the mind of Christ that you have. And, and number five, wherever you go, leave your mark, and leave your mark for God's glory, the parable of the pencil. Take that to heart. Let me go to the last thing, and that's verse eight. Verse seven was, what are you doing in life? He made himself of no reputation, taking upon the form of a servant uh, and coming in the likeness of men. But look at verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death and even the death of the cross. And so I ask you, if we are trying to apply this to our own lives, where are you going in life? You know where Jesus went. Jesus went to death. Psalm 22 says, They gape at me with their mouths. Like a raging and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Isaiah simply said he's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That's where he went. That's what this verse says about him. Christ died on a cross. He was found, this verse first says, in the appearance or the fashion of a man. Schemata, we get the word schematic from it. Uh, As I said, outwardly, he looked just like any other man, and he was because he was 100% human, but he was God also. He was the God-man. So a morphe cannot change. Schematic can change. He was in he was in the outward appearance differently, and then he took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of man. He humbled himself, tape nao, that is, he's the carpet under your feet, and took upon himself the cross. Do you know that the word crucifixion was invented to describe the Roman form of death? We didn't, we didn't have the word crucifixion before the Romans came up with that form of death, but they needed a word to describe how terrible and how ugly that form of death was. And so the word crucifixion came about, to crucify someone. And notice our verse says, not just to the point of death, but what? Even the death of a cross. He didn't just die of old age in a bed somewhere. He didn't die of cancer or some illness. Even the death of a cross, you can't get any lower than that. A criminal with no rights that is nothing more than a piece of meat hanging on a stake. The God of all eternity became that, even the point of a cross. So you must take up your cross. You must do that. Again, 1 Peter 1.14. That word schema, if we're going to be conformed to his death, that word schema, that schematic, that, that form, that mind that you have to have in you appears a number of times in the New Testament. Here are a few places. 1 Peter 1.14 through 16. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts and your ignorance. Don't don't serve the former lusts, but as he which has called you is holy, be you holy in all manner of conversations, for it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be schematic, do not be conformed to this world, but be morphe, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Luke again, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I'm sure Paul and Silas were great examples to this church at Philippi when they allowed themselves to be beaten and thrown into jail and sang at midnight the praises of God for being able to serve God and serve Christ in such a way. The price for paying or or, or for serving God is high. One guy was at a, a festival where they were selling cheap trinkets and things like this, and he noticed that there was a sign that said, Cheap crosses. Cheap crosses. I think sometimes that's the kind of cross we want we want one that doesn't cost us very much. Another guy was talking about the lack of men in churches following God uh, as men ought to. He said, you know, we sing the song, take my life and let it be. They've changed it to take my wife and let me be. You know. Maybe we have too much. Is your life being lived for yourself or for the Lord Jesus Christ? So, Here we have this passage, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I think it's the most difficult thing in life. It's easy to live for yourself. It's easy to make yourself the God of this world, but to give yourself up like Christ did, and yet it's the most important thing in life, isn't it? Even tonight, I'm going to speak from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 that we are to preach the word in season and out of season. A crown is laid up for us, a crown of righteousness that the Lord will give us in that day. That's what our life is all about. That's where we're going. I trust that you will take these words to heart and let uh, Christ be formed in you. Take this mind and make it yours. Stand with me, if you will. As we stand, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. We always sing as an invitation both when we sing and when the service is closed. We invite you then to bow your hearts and minds before the Lord and surrender yourself to him. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you for this great passage. Uh, We'll never touch the bottom of it. And yet, Father, we understand. We understand the mind of Christ. You've given it to us. You've told us about it. We understand it too well. And, Father, the problem is not in that, but the problem is in ourselves. And so, Father, help us as, as fallible human beings. We don't think that we can do this. We don't think that we could have that kind of a mind in us. But Father, I pray that you would convince us that we can, that you would give us the strength and the power through your Spirit to be these kind of people. So help us to surrender the things that we need to surrender. Help us to let go of the things we need to let go of and to put on this mind. So bless, Father, as we sing. Bless us, we ask you to speak to our hearts, and may you renew us in the way that we need by the renewing of our mind. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing a song, our invitation's open as we sing. Uh, I'm at the front. If you need help, come even as we sing, or as soon as our service is closed, Uh, see me then. You take care of what the Lord has laid on your heart today.